Hello and welcome to IOSH Magazine's podcast series. These podcasts will feature exclusive interviews with industry experts, behind-the-scenes discussions with members, and conversations with future leaders of the health and safety profession. In this episode, I speak to two of IOSH's future leaders about their experience of imposter syndrome and how to overcome it. It is estimated that 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome, the feeling that you're a fraud or don't deserve to be where you are quite often in a professional capacity, at least once in their lives. I'm delighted that IOSH Future Leaders, Josh Calloway, Operations Manager at Thames Water, and Megan Coleman, SHEQ Advisor at sustainability firm RSK, have joined me on the podcast today to discuss the impact of imposter syndrome and the subsequent stress it can evoke on people people and workplaces and the scale of the problem. Josh and Megan will explore how health and safety professionals can help employees manage it using various techniques. With mental health very much on the radar, now is a good time to cover this. So welcome Josh and Megan to the podcast. Great to have you here today. Um, So first of all, can you define what imposter syndrome is and the impact it has? Um, Josh, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Yes. Thank you very much for, for having me on today. Um, I think imposter syndrome, I'll take a sort of personal stance on this, is that general sense of uneasiness that I think everyone feels at some point in their lives that um, they've joined a team or they've started a new role or they're undertaking a new task and they don't really feel like uh, they belong in that particular area or that their qualifications that uh, previous to it they felt very sure of suddenly don't uh, match up the people around you and the teams you're operating in. Um, I recently started a sort of secondment role at a uh, quite a large site in North London and am significantly younger than a lot of that team. It's quite a, uh, an older workforce who's working quite heavy mechanical plant and um, being in the room sometimes around those sorts of individuals who are by default immensely supportive. I just sometimes feel as if uh, yeah, I'm a bit young and I'm a bit unqualified to to sort of start doing that and um, start start sort of contributing to that team. Um, and so the impact it has on me is um, I need to kind of constantly remind myself that actually you know I'm qualified to work in this position. Uh, I've got faith in myself and that the team are supportive around me. Um, so it's just I think that sort of general sense of uneasiness that that everyone's familiar with in both a personal and professional sense. Absolutely. And how about you, Megan? Have you experienced it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to say that anyone can experience imposter syndrome. Um, the feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persist, persist despite your education, experience and accomplishments. I think one of the main um, areas where people experience it is in a new job, like Josh said, and you're thrown into this world and you know they've seen your CV and they've hired you because you can think you do the job. But you still have those doubts in your mind that you cannot do it and you find yourself um, comparing yourself to this big team of new people and you're thinking, what am I doing here? Um, and I think everyone experiences that just naturally. And so what do you think the scale of the problem is? Um, some re- research says that it's most often experienced by women. Um, so what do you think the underlying causes are, Josh? Yeah, I, I think... Um there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be in the, done in the in the particular industry that I work in, where um, especially in our sort of enge- engineering, our asset strategy, and our operational roles, there's there's not enough women in them, um, and that is obviously something that that needs to be sort of remedied pr- pretty quickly. And I think it's a sort of downward spiral in that um, if you've not got people around you that you can feel very comfortable with and identify with very easily. 
and who are good and positive role models for you, then I think it, as I said, can quite quickly become a bit of a downward spiral where you feel more and more reclusive. Um, so you're more, you're less likely to kind of contribute to it. Um, so I, I think for me, what I, I benefited from from a, an early stage was um, building that sort of community of very similar people to me within the. Um, um, within the, the company I was in, but also the industry. So I was fortunate enough to be on, on the graduate scheme, which meant that I had at my disposal sort of 28 to 30 individuals who, albeit were spread qu- over quite a large geographical patch, um, I had uh, a sort of catalogue of, of very similar experiences that I could access and talk through with a lot of people. And I was very, very pleased of the uh, the sort of gender balance of that graduate scheme was, um, was very sort of equal. Um, so lots of different perspectives came into it. So I think that the challenge really is ensuring um you know everyone experiences imposter syndrome as we've said but if there's additional elements where one can't feel entirely comfortable for for alternative reasons i think that only amplifies the the impact and the difficulty of it um so there's sort of two problems that we need to resolve to make people feel generally professionally more um relaxed in the environment that they're coming into that they've been hard and, and the job that they've been hard to do but there's underlying elements of diversity and inclusion that if we solve and crack those as well um then everyone's going to be feel, feel more comfortable at work and everyone's going to feel like they can, they can bring the entirety of themselves to work so um i appreciate i'm coming from a, a a slightly different perspective there but um yeah i think i think that's what i've discovered might help as well megan have you got anything to add to that um, so yeah, I think the, the scale of the problem it's always it's always going to be there. I think we can tell people to not compare themselves, but they they are always going to naturally. From an individual point of view, I think as an individual, you can try and share your feelings about what you're experiencing and why you're feeling them to try and get a bit more understanding and how you can help yourself. Um, again using social media moderately can have a massive help on help on how you're feeling and what the things you're absorbing through social media that can be contributing to your imposter syndrome so there's lots of things as an individual you can do that can go alongside the changing of the company culture like josh has said and putting those things in place it's a really good point actually and we'll come back to social media a little bit later um so how can organizations mitigate the risks what can individuals do Josh? So I, th- I think organisations and industries can mitigate risks in different ways relative to the to the, the issues that they've sort of got to face. Um, talking from this sort of experience for mine, which is a lot of operational sites in, in quite a large geographical area, um, where, as I said, you might have quite small management teams to quite large operational teams. It's about, I think, um, the credentials of the individual to be, I think, authentic and identify with those teams. Um, so as I said, coming into what is quite a operationally intense environment, um, where on a daily basis, you're talking about assets and pumps and pipe work and resolving those sorts of issues is, um, I think, not getting yourself bogged down in the sort of absolute details of things because I think everyone can learn technical skills. Um, but underneath, you have to have that sort of bedrock of authenticity. So for me, Whilst I was, uh, I wouldn't say sort of fearful, but apprehensive when I was sort of started the new role and was aware of the fact that a lot of people knew a lot more about this stuff than perhaps I did initially, I just said and was very authentic with them and sort of said, look, I'm really keen to learn about the, the sort of technical elements of this, but my skill set is to try and mobilize the best from you. You know, as an operations manager, I'm sort of jack of, jack of all trades and master of none. I'm not expected to be a technical expert. I'm expected to be someone who can get the best out of the technical experts. So I think it's about um, just keeping perspective to say, look, as a, as a young individual entering any industry, you're not going to have all the answers at the start. You know, you're going to build that um, from technical experience and from qualifications. But I think if you have that 
genuine underlying bedrock that you're a person who's ready and willing to learn and that you demonstrate that to people and that you deliver on what you're accountable for, I think that just helps mitigate and combat the risks. Absolutely. Megan, how can organisations mitigate the risks? I think it's um, really important that organisations almost evaluate all employees' works performance so they can help employees understand um, where they're struggling and their weaknesses and how, how they make them overcome that. And that can be a key part of imposter syndrome, people thinking that they're weaker and they've got weaknesses compared to the people. So if the company is offering the support and help to try and overcome them and tackling it at that level, then that can have a massive impact on how the employee is feeling in the long run and going forwards from there. Um, a couple of years ago, um, some of our listeners um, might recall, um, specifically the future leaders, um, the BBC's Zoe Davis talked about her experience at IOSH's Future Leaders Conference, I think it was in 2021, um, and how training and mobilising stress to combat imposter syndrome helped her overcome this. Um, Zoe talked about her experience of imposter syndrome after landing the biggest role of her life um, as head of safety at the BBC. Um, and she described how she undertook training to help combat it. Um, how would you approach this? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so I um, recall that sort of talk and, and um, yeah, it was really sort of interesting to see how um, something in the workplace environment, which is often seen as, as sort of negative when it comes to, to productivity, so stress and stress management, how she talked about mobilising that, as you said, into into something really positive. Um, and I think, again, drawing on perhaps my, my sort of operational experiences, you know, 99% of the time, things can go very smoothly and nicely, but it's that 1% where um, it's kind of all hands to the pump, often often quite literally for my team, um, where you've got to stop and evaluate the situation. Um, and I think that's where you've got to sort of stand up and be accountable. But if you've got faith in yourself and your capacity to make decisions, even if you've not got all the technical information around you, if you've got that faith to be strong in your will and kind of um, uh, decisive, then uh, I think you're, you're, you're demonstrating that you're an effective leader or an effective manager. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, stress management is such a critical element of, um, um, yeah, turning what could potentially be a sort of negative outcome into, into a more positive one. Something I've tried to approach with a, from a sort of personal level uh, with respect to the kind of rationale around imposter syndrome is if something occurred um, and I would beat myself up about it if it went wrong, I try and reverse that and say, well, if it's gone well, then I'd give myself credit. So if I give my, um, if, if something goes wrong, yeah, as I said, sort of beat myself up about it. If it's gone positively, I make sure to try and mentally reward myself to say, look, you've been the agent in the productivity of that. So I think it's uh, it's only human nature to focus on uh, their impact on when things go wrong. And, you know, I think you've got to realize that in your career, and I'm saying this from a very early perspective, things are not always going to go absolutely according to plan. And that's not necessarily an indicator that you're uh, an imposter in the in the role you're in. It's just that you're in the process of learning. But equally, if things go well, you've got to realize that you've been a kind of imposter as well and you've, you've kind of built up that um, capacity to kind of deal with it. So I think it's about approaching stress as, um, you know, chronic stress is, is obviously unhealthy, but in short pockets where you've got to respond to things operationally or, or respond to things as they're happening, then uh, stress, as sort of Zoe Davis talked about, can be a really effective 
way to do it. And um, yeah, she referenced sort of training, but I think, um, you know, the formal training of how one approaches stress management is, is, is critical, but also that just training the mind to think, as I said, you know, if uh, something goes wrong, it's not always entirely your fault, um, as long as you learn uh, and, and develop from it. That's a really good way of looking at it, flipping it on its head. It's a good tip. Um, I also suggests we also have a person-centered approach in regards to impact on health, well-being, engagement, productivity, etc. Could you elaborate on this? So obviously about the imposter syndrome, it's all about the person and how they're feeling. So obviously when people are experiencing imposter syndrome, they can exhibit different attributes. That could be from being reluctant to seize opportunities, um, perfectionism and workaholism. So it's about taking back to the individual and how they can resolve that and how, because those aren't healthy traits and attributes to have. We need to tackle them as a person-centred approach and how we get around them. Oh Yeah, I agree completely, Megan, because I think, um, yeah, a a team, even if they're undertaking very specific um, you know, I think we, we spoke before about our, our different industries and, you know, construction or sustainability or operations. Even if we're undertaking very specific tasks, at the end of the day, a team's only as good as the people and the culture that you're developing within that team. Um, and so I think the, 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 the person-centered approach to imposter, uh, imposter syndrome and, and sort of stress management more broadly uh, by IOSH is about, you know, building those little kind of interconnections of engagement between people and, and between sort of strata of management to ensure that um, it's an open and a transparent culture. Um, because, yeah, at the end of the day, you can sit in a room with lots of very important people from your company or a very important people from your side. But at the end of the day, you're all just people trying to do the best you can. Um, and I think the more I, I generally think in a, in a management style, the sort of kinder and more transparent you are around these things, you tend to get the best out of people. There's points where you need to be firm to kind of get key accountabilities over the line. But I thought, I think as a, as a, as a broader kind of strategy, that people centered, kinder, genuine, authentic approach to work and working culture, um, always, always, um, comes out uh, better. That kind of, leads me nicely on to my next question you've kind of covered um parts of it but um I was just looking for sort of examples of different environments because of the type of environments that you both work in um construction environmental um plants etc um I'm just trying to think of sort of a health and safety lead presenting their findings like you um, alluded to Josh um in an all-company meeting or a board meeting um that could present um feelings of imposter syndrome couldn't it yeah yeah sure i think um yeah so to sort of work with Thames water it's a sizable company and that as i said there's a real diverse risk portfolio across uh, a variety of different sites and we've got um, a really effective health and safety management structure that ensures that there's there's good connection between our frontline and our um, board and, and, and executive um, so you know we do that through sort of proactive risk management around our safety observations and what we call our zero compromise approach so people at the front line, at the coalface, so to speak, can raise their concerns very, very easily. So I think against that kind of con- context of transparency, 
you know, um, yeah, it can be very, very um, frightening almost, somewhat fearful to kind of stand in front of people um, sort of higher than your station and say, well, this is my investigation or this is my outcome of findings. Um, but again, I think it's about making sure, first and foremost, you're well prepared for those sorts of conversations because nothing makes you um, or sort of dislodges you more than, a, than a, a question that you're not sort of necessarily prepared for. So having uh, faith in your investigation or faith in your data that you're presenting and really kind of rehearsing and practicing that just takes the edge off that imposter syndrome and also gives you that degree of confidence when you're going into those tough conversations to say look i actually believe in myself and i believe in what i've done here um and that's how it sort of comes it comes across hopefully um you know there's always going to be those tough conversations but i think the more you can prepare for them uh, and the more you can get ready for them then then the better um so yeah i think preparation is such a key thing for um managing those pockets of imposter syndrome at higher levels Absolutely. And I think as well, like you say, being as prepared as you can will help you with whatever might may come up in that conversation. And sometimes we are, um, we find it difficult if we're maybe younger than the person we're having that difficult conversation with. Um, sometimes as a female in a very male dominated industry, I think it's just important to, uh, as well, just to say that it can, it can happen anywhere. I think recently I found myself even comparing myself to someone in the same role as me on LinkedIn, a complete stranger who I've never met and never will meet, but I'm still comparing myself to them because I can see the comparability between our roles and the, the work we do and so then maybe it's taking a positive spin on that and looking at what they're doing and how I can apply it to my work and um, helping me combat imposter syndrome in that way. Yeah, it's like Josh was saying earlier about flipping on, on its heads um, can be really effective, can't it? Actually, Megan, you're talking about social media there. Um, so professional platforms such as LinkedIn can contribute to imposter syndrome, as we've discussed, um, especially when people are only posting successes and wins. Um, you know, it's really good to celebrate these successes, but it can have an effect on the people reading those. So how can we combat this? Um, so I, I think obviously what we don't see behind the success is maybe all the, the failures and the challenges that it took to get there. And it's great that the person's got there in the end, but we're only seeing the finished product on LinkedIn and that's all we have to compare ourselves to. So it is important to remember to take a step back and think, I don't know the bigger picture and I never will. People aren't very good at um, celebrating their failures. They take it very personally and almost berate their own performance because of it. So it's just important about taking that step back and thinking this isn't might not be the truth. Um, so it's all about trying not to use overuse social media. We can all get engrossed in it and as um, a professional platform as LinkedIn can be, it can turn quite toxic and people do belittle people on there and they, they shouldn't be, but it's inevitable that it's going to happen. So it's, again, taking that step back and thinking, I'm getting a bit too engrossed in this, switch off and go do something else. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we all have that individual in our in our feed or, or that or that group or that company or whatever that seems to post a hundred times a month about all the fantastic and wonderful things that they've delivered and got over the line. But as you said, you know that that either is uh, the product of luck or it's a product of a lot of hard work. And with hard work comes failure as well. So as, as Megan, I think, really articulately said. Um, 
you know, we've got to recognize those, those failures as well. And I think also naturally we're, um, you know, as, as a sort of future leaders generation growing up very fluently with um, social media is we approach the, the more social social media with a lot of apprehension anyway, be it Instagram or Facebook. We don't treat that with the same degree, or I hope we, that a lot of people don't treat that with the same degree of seriousness. But because perhaps LinkedIn is seen as this kind of professional environment, um, you know, whenever anyone posts anything uh, successful, I feel like we take it a lot more to heart and we compare ourselves a lot more easily. And and yeah, I, I've absolutely done it where I've seen um, similar individuals in similar ops management roles. And I'm thinking, oh, their site's got more capacity or they're doing more in this role or they're doing this more effectively. And I think, you know, it, it's great to have a kind of set of benchmarks to, to, to project yourself against. But at the end of the day, you are your own authentic individual um, and your uh, route for progression is going to be entirely bespoke. Um, so it's not about comparing. It's perhaps about taking inspiration, but it's certainly not about comparing because I think, um, yeah, if, if you start comparing yourself too much to people, you, you try and emulate them rather than being sort of inspired by them. Um, so what would you say the take-home message is for health and safety professionals? Have you come across any useful resources um, or further information that you could recommend um, our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, so I think we've, we've, we've just actually spoken about LinkedIn and about some of the, the pitfalls of it. Um, but I think when mobilized effectively, it can be a really, really useful resource. Um, so I know Megan and, and myself have, have benefited greatly from being involved with the Future Leaders um, Steering Group LinkedIn, which is a group of very um, uh, inclusive and like-minded individuals. And I think it's about building that sort of community around you. And back to that sort of uh, original point that we're talking about is, yeah, if you have that kind of context of support around you, it can be really, really useful. So I'd say if, you, if you're not if you listen to this podcast and you're not involved with the Future Leaders Steering Group on, on LinkedIn or even the, the Committee Steering Group, um, then yeah, a really, really good opportunity to get involved with that. Um, and I think the take-home message from, from myself would be, um, yeah, just try and be authentic. You know, you're, if you're in a position, as Megan said earlier, you've been you know, reviewed, your CV's been seen, you've interviewed, you've got into that position because you deserve to be there. Um, and everyone feels uneasy about everything. Um, but your experience and how you develop in that role is just going to add sort of more feathers to your cap. Um, so really just try and be genuine and authentic and uh, be as kind as you can. And I think that will serve you in really, really good stead. Megan, what's your experience of the Future Leaders LinkedIn group? I think it's absolutely great that you can communicate with like-minded individuals. They are there to use their knowledge and to genuinely help you. But another thing as well is the IOSH mentoring as well. That can be a really good way of finding a mentor and your mentor serves as a trusted ally and they can help you tackle those things such as imposter syndrome and make you realise that you are doing well, you're you're achieving well and to stop um, berating your performance just because you failed or you're comparing yourself to someone. So on the Irish mentoring, I've, I've just written a piece on the benefits of being an Irish mentor and mentee and what you can get out of it with my mentor, Karen Godfrey. And that is being published next week on the IOSH magazine website shortly. Oh, great. Well, the listeners should definitely look out for that. The other thing is the IOSH branch meetings as well. They're a great, great way to connect with like-minded individuals from a certain area who can help you. So, again, my takeaway would probably be that remember that if you are feeling like an imposter, it means that you have some degree of success in your life and that you are attributing to luck. Uh, try instead to turn that feeling into one of gratitude so look at what you've accomplished in your life and be grateful for your achievements 
that's a really good point on the mentors as well because um it's quite likely that they've felt imposter syndrome at some point in their careers as well um so they'd have that experience to pass on um IOSH says one scenario relates to an OSH professional's capability to influence if they have the imposter syndrome feeling um this can diminish their ability to influence their organizations and so I think there's a link here in terms of this technique enabling the core and behavioral competencies of the IOSH competency framework. Um, could you talk a, bit, a little yeah, bit about sure. this? So, so the, the, the competency framework, I think we're all sort of familiar with, with and, and uh, obviously our, our listeners are definitely sort of fluent, fluent in as well, is you know, a really good set of um, structural competencies that um, don't just affect your, your immediate management skill, but sort of draw on that technical element as well. And I, and I think I've spoken about, you know, in the background as you're building those those technical elements and that, those qualifications that will supplement your management style. But I think it improves you not just as a, as an influencer in a, in a business, but just as an all-round sort of manager and an all-round leader. Um, so, yeah, conformity to those uh, competencies um I'm yeah, not going to go into those sort of specifics on the, of them, but the, the conformity to the, those competencies just makes you a more rounded individual, I think. And the more you do that, you know, the less you're going to feel like you're, you're sort of barging in and, and imposting on anything. I think also one of the, obviously one of the Irish tools with the newly launched blueprint is to do about doing your personal development plan and looking what areas that you think you need to improve and then almost taking a plan back from that so you might feel like some areas are weaknesses try and turn them into strengths try and improve on them and having that clear-cut vision of what you can improve on is really really helpful to tackle imposter syndrome yeah i think that's a really good um message to end on um just to say last year iosh magazine did um produce an article in the january february 2022 magazine um on imposter syndrome uh, with lots of tips in there as well and we complemented that with a video um so you'll be able to find that on ioshmagazine.com so thank you josh and megan for joining me on the podcast today it was really interesting and i hope the listeners enjoyed it Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. See you next month for another conversation on all things health and safety.